Daily prayer has been a part of the Christian tradition since its first days. In the Episcopal Church, our forms of daily prayer are found in our Book of Common Prayer, which descends from that of the Church of England. When we pray one of the forms of prayer, called offices, we pray with Christians around the world no matter what time we are doing so. Morning prayer is the central office, but it's always great to be prayed any time of day. Whether you're joining in at morning, evening, or even the next day, it's always a good time to pray. If you would like to follow along with the order of prayer, you can go to tuesday.frdavid.org for a Tuesday episode, or thursday.frdavid.org for a Thursday episode. There will be more information at the end of this podcast. Let's pray morning prayer together. Well, good morning, and welcome to Morning Prayer for September 30th, 2021, Thursday after the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, and the Lesser Feast and Fast of Jerome, Priest and Scholar in 420 CE. Uh, Thank you for joining us, uh, no matter which platform you're watching us on, uh, whether it's uh, video currently or podcast a little bit later on. uh, Let's prepare ourselves for prayer. Send out your light and your truth that they may lead me, and bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. Let us say together the Venite. The mercy of the Lord is everlasting. Come, let us adore him. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and raise a loud shout to him with the psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the caverns of the earth, and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee, and kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. The mercy of the Lord is everlasting. Come, let us adore him. Let's join together in the portion of the Psalter for this morning, which is Psalm 105, Part 1. Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, and speak of all his marvelous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Search for the Lord and his strength. Continually seek his face. Remember the marvels he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. 
O offspring of Abraham his servant, O children of Jacob his chosen, he is the Lord our God. His judgments prevail in all the world. He has always been mindful of his covenant. The promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath that he swore to Isaac, which he established as a statute for Jacob, an everlasting covenant for Israel, saying, To you will I give the land of Canaan, to be your allotted inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in the land, wandering from nation to nation, and from one kingdom to another, he let no one oppress them, and rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Then he called for a famine in the land, and destroyed the supply of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet in fetters, his neck they put in an iron collar, until his prediction came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He set him as a master over his household, as a ruler over all his possessions, to instruct his princes according to his will, and to teach his elders wisdom. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. On the judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them, I've never known you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rains fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It fell and was completely destroyed. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's say together the song of Moses. I will sing to the Lord, for he is lofty and uplifted. The horse and its rider has he hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my refuge. The Lord has become my savior. This is my God, and I will praise him. The God of my people, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a mighty warrior. Yahweh is his name. The chariots of Pharaoh and his army has he hurled into the sea. The finest of those who bear armor have been drowned in the Red Sea. The fathomless deep has overwhelmed them. They sank into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in might. Your right hand, O Lord, has overthrown the enemy. Who can be compared with you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, awesome in renown, and worker of wonders? You stretched forth your right hand. The earth swallowed them up. With your constant love, you led the people you redeemed. With your might, you brought them in safety to your holy dwelling. You will bring them in and plant them on the mount of your possession. The resting place you have made for yourself, O Lord, the sanctuary, O Lord, that your hand has established, the Lord shall reign forever and forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Well, 
Well, beloved, today is actually the feast day of Jerome, and this is interesting because uh, if you'll remember Tuesday, uh, it was the um, the uh, feast day of Paula and Eustochium, uh, who were the companions of Jerome. So now we, uh, we get Jerome's reading, uh, and this is from Lesser Feasts and Fast 2018. Jerome was the foremost biblical scholar of early Latin Christianity. His Latin translation of the Bible from early Hebrew and Greek texts, known as the Vulgate version, along with his commentaries and homilies on the biblical books, have made him a major intellectual force in the Western Church. Jerome was born in Striden, in the Roman province of Dalmatia, around 347, and was converted and baptized during his days as a student in Rome. On a visit to Trier in the Rhineland, he found himself attracted to the monastic life, which he tested in a brief but unhappy experience as a hermit in the Syrian desert in Syria. At Antioch in 378, he reluctantly allowed himself to be ordained a priest, and there continued his studies in Hebrew and Greek. The following year, he was in Constantinople as a student of Gregory of Nazianzus. From 382 to 384, he served as secretary to Pope Damasus I in Rome, who set him to the task of making a new translation of the Bible into Latin, the vulgar tongue used by the common people as distinguished from the classical Greek, hence the name of his translation, the Vulgate. After the Pope's death, Jerome returned to the East and established a monastery at Bethlehem, where he lived and worked until his death on September 30th, 420. He was buried in a chapel beneath the Church of the Nativity, near the traditional place of our Lord's birth. Jerome's irascible disposition, pride of learning, and extravagant promotion of asceticism involved him in many bitter controversies over both theological and exegetical questions, yet he was candid at times in admitting his failings, never ambitious for churchly honors, a militant champion of orthodoxy, an indefatigable worker, and a literary stylist with rare gifts. So Jerome's feast is an older feast than the one for Paula and Eustochium. Um, this one is one that's a, a, a set feast. It, it's not a, the, the other one um, for Paula and Eustochium is still a trial rite, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, so it hasn't been approved by two general conventions yet. Um, and in some ways, it's interesting. Um, you, you see... Uh, the way that, that things kind of work in our world when you read this thing about Jerome, because there's no mention of Paula and Eustochium, even though um, many people who study, uh, the three of them say that what, what Jerome did wouldn't have, wouldn't have been possible at all, um, that uh, Paula actually made a lot of the suggestions, uh, pushed him towards doing the Vulgate, that it was her estate that actually um, financed the monasteries and his work uh, when, he tra- re- when he went back to Jerusalem. And that actually Paula may have been the, um, the more um, accomplished Hebrew scholar because uh, there's a, some evidence that a lot of the work for the, the Vulgate uh, in the Old Testament uh, came at, at Paula's suggestion. Um, so she certainly had, a, Jerome certainly at least admitted that she had a great deal of influence over the, the Old Testament portion of the Vulgate. Um, so that's one por- portion is, is we see in this uh, the, the way that these two feasts are handled, still the, the, the way that we have to struggle uh, with the ongoing issue of patriarchy in our society, um, that um, it would be better if both, if, if both uh, Paula and Eustochium's uh, entry in, involved Jerome, which it does, but it would be very nice if Jerome's entry 
also mentioned Paul and Eustochium as being the, the, peop- the, the women that enabled him to do uh, and quite possibly helped him author uh, the Vulgate, which is so important in the Western church's history. Uh, another interesting thing to note here is this idea that about language. So if you ask most people in the Western world what the language of learning is, most people will tell you that it's Latin. Um, because, you know, you, you, if you go to grammar school or something like that, you learn Latin. Uh, my son took Latin in high school, uh, and it's actually, Latin is a great language to take because it's the base of all the Romance languages, so if you get Latin down, the other ones are, are easier to pick up and you understand the relationship between them. Um, but what we have to remember is that at the time that Jerome is writing in, in what, the 340s? You know, somewhere, well, in the four, late 300s, early 400s, Latin is not the language of learning. Greek is the Latin, is the, is the language of learning. Uh, both, there's classical Greek, almost all of the, quote, learning is in classical Greek, and there's what's called Koine Greek, which is kind of the common Greek that everybody speaks in the Roman Empire, whether they're in the West or the East. It's the common, um, it's the common um, language of commerce. So, Latin is something that's used because it's the kind of the root of the Roman Empire. Uh, at that time, it's used in government documents. It's spoken in, in Italy. It's spoken um, in, in other places of the Western Empire. But if you were to go to, say, Constantinople, which is the much more grand city in the Roman Empire at that time, you wouldn't hear Latin pretty much at all. It would all be Greek. Um, so what Jerome is doing here is Jerome is intentionally translating the Bible from a language that is harder for people to understand where he lives to the common language of the people that are there in, um, in the western part of the empire. And because he does that, and because the, uh, you know, the, the western Roman Empire falls first, eastern one falls later, but the western empire falls, and the church is the only institution that really remains of the, of the western empire, it, it becomes the language of learning in the West. Uh, and that's, uh, so, and a large part of that is because the Vulgate is there and because the, um, the um, uh, liturgy is in Latin at that point. Uh, but we have to remember that that Latin, that both the literature, the, the liturgy and the, um, the Bible are translated into or are celebrated in the West at that time is the vulgar language, not the language of learning. It's the vulgar language. It's what the common people speak. And that's why it's in that language, so that the common people can understand that you don't have to have, you know, especially at a time where literacy is so low, um, you don't have to understand a language that you don't speak every day in order to go into church in, in, in the Western Empire to, to understand what's going on in there and to hear the gospel. What's interesting is then that becomes kind of ossified, that Latin use. So as Latin becomes the learned language that only the clergy really understand and a few of the nobility, especially during the, the medieval period up until the Renaissance, um, it becomes this kind of a, a language that only, only, only the learned know. I mean, it gets to the point, there's a, a point in the liturgy uh, when, when you hold up the, the bread and you say, um, this is my body. In Latin, that's hoc est corpus. And that gets translated in the... Um, in the, in the common parlance, you know, when people hear that, they come up with hocus pocus. So this, this idea, you know, this, the, what was originally a liturgy that was understood by everybody, 
by the time of the late Middle Ages becomes something that very few people understand. It's something they've internalized. They still get religious value out of it. I don't deny that. But it's not something that they can, it's not a language they can converse in and speak in um, and, and uh, do anything in, in, the, in the common. So, you know, one of the things that comes around, not just in the Protestant side, it happens in the Catholic side too, but starts mainly in the Protestant side, is this idea of retrieval, you know, in the 1500s and, and forward, retrieval of putting the first the Bible and then the liturgy into the language that people understand. Um, because it's important that people be able to understand what's going on um, in church uh, around them. And that's something we need to continue to remember. You know, for instance, uh, you know, our common book of common prayer has both a right one and a right two, and I love them both. Uh, when I write one in our book of common prayer is Elizabethan language. It's the language we've inherited from the first books of common prayer um, from the Church of England, and I, I dearly love that. When I became an Episcopalian, that was the normative right of the church, and so I dearly love it. And our right two are modern language, or at least what we called modern language in 1979 when we last revised the prayer book. But what we have to remember is that those things are nice, that the both right one and right two are, are, are really nice, but we constantly have to be listening to the language and the changes in the language because it's supposed to be understood by the people. Now, you know, here at St. Matthias, uh, we're not currently running the eight o'clock just because of COVID issues, but once we get back to that, that will go back to the right one language because that's what we always do there and people opt into that. But I think it's really important as a denomination, as Christians, that we're constantly listening to the language um, and the changes that the language makes. Um, it's important right now, especially that we look at issues uh, in our liturgies and, and translations about around gender, um, around um, uh, around race, around a number of other things. Because not because you have to be quote politically correct, but because the way we use the language has changed. You know, we don't the same some words that were. Well, actually, our 79 modern language translations were in a kind of an older style of English even at the time. So some of the words that are used there don't mean the same thing in common parlance anymore. That, you know, an average person hearing it will think of something completely different than what the people writing in modern language in 1979 thought it meant. Um, so it's just a reminder. The gospel is meant to be heard, to be internalized, and to be loved by the people who are hearing it. And it's really our job as the church to be translating that into the language that the people understand. Um, and also that's important in your everyday lives. Um, you know, if in some ways I'll abstract that a little. Um, the gospel has to be translated not only into words, but into actions. Um, there's a quote that's usually, I think it's misattributed to St. Francis, but uh, spread the, preach the gospel and use words when necessary. Uh, but the idea that the gospel is not just something that we hear on Sunday morning or, or something that we study. Uh, it's something that we're supposed to internalize and something that's supposed to be shown forth in our actions and in the things we do. And so, in some ways, uh, when you're out in the world and you're showing kindness to other people, when you're showing compassion to other people, you are translating that into the most direct language that the people can understand. Each one of you is a translator, translating the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, into the enacted, um, incarnate uh, world that we all live in. Amen.
Let's say together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Clothe your ministers with righteousness. Let your people sing with joy. Give peace, O Lord, in all the world, for only in you can we live in safety. Lord, keep this nation under your care, and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let your way be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and sustain us with your Holy Spirit. O God, who gave us the Holy Scriptures as a light to shine upon our path, grant us, after the example of your servant Jerome, so to learn of you according to your holy word, that we may find the light that shines more and more to the perfect day, even Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord God, Almighty and everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power, that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity, and in all we do direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose Spirit the whole body of your faithful people is governed and sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all members of your holy church, that in their vocation and ministry they may truly and devoutly serve you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we pray for the soul of Linda. We pray for all those on the parish prayer list. We pray for all those who are still recovering from natural disasters. We pray for the people of Afghanistan. We pray for those who are suffering from COVID-19. We pray for healthcare workers and other essential workers who are in harm's way. And we pray for the strength to take the measures we need to bring this to a conclusion. Pray for peace in the Holy Land. I bid your prayers and intercessions at this time. Let us say together the general thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. 
We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will be in the midst of them. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth, and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining uh, me for prayer this morning and in with the rest of our community uh, watching online. Uh, remind us that we have um, uh, services coming up this weekend. We have a 5 o'clock Saturday service, which is outside. Uh, we have our 10 o'clock Sunday service, which is also uh, live streamed every Sunday. Uh, so you're welcome to join us either in person or um, online uh, when that happens. Um, thank you to everybody um, who's here. Uh, and um, we'll be, bring back a morning prayer next week on Tuesday and Thursday again. Um, until I see you again, uh, thank you and God bless. This has been a production of St. Matthias Episcopal Church in Waukesha, Wisconsin. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find more information on how to contact us at our website at http www.stmatthiasonline.org. That's www.stmatthiasonline.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.